Hello, folks, and welcome to episode 10 of Platform Enterprise, the show that platforms projects which protect the planet and empower people. That's a lot of peas. I'm your host, Rachel Donald, and I also write the Platform Enterprise newsletter, which is a weekly investigation into what keeps the world in crisis. In a nutshell, the newsletter is about the problems and the podcast is about the solutions. Head over to www.platformenterprise.com to subscribe and get both the podcast and the investigation delivered to your inbox every week. On the show today is Heather Scott, a hydrologist and slow fashion advocate who is trying to save the world's waterways. What Heather revealed about the extent of the damage caused by the fashion industry was simply astonishing. When we talk about industry and climate change, we often focus on greenhouse gas emissions. But what about pollution? What about access to clean water? What about the fact that every day water is diverted away from communities in need in already water-stressed areas? As Heather explains, the water crisis is already urgent. On top of the science, Heather also details how to make your wardrobe sustainable, which of course means abandoning your favourite fast fashion brands. But trust me, when you hear what they're up to on the other side of the world, you'll be happy to leave them behind. I'm so excited to speak to you today, Heather, because you have such a a fascinating perspective on kind of what's going on globally in fashion, because not only are you this, you know, kind of slow fashion advocate and you're building this Instagram page and you're trying to educate people, but you're also a scientist. I'm actually a hydrologist. So my background is in water, modeling rivers, irrigation, water usage. So this ties in actually really nicely with the fashion industry because it's a huge, huge user of water. So it's good to be able to use my knowledge um, in a good way and try and educate people for example, you know, with T-shirts, about 2,700 litres of water to make one cotton T-shirt. 2,700 um, litres of water. Yeah, and about 10,000 litres for a pair of jeans. So when people are going, you know, down to the high street on a Saturday and buy, you know, you know, the go to Primark and see some jeans, you know, for, I don't know, a tenner or whatever, they're not really realizing the background, you know, what chemicals have gone into those, because if you go, if you strip it right back and go um, to the cotton growing, the cotton growing is grown in water scarcity areas around the world. Mm. Um, so you've got huge lakes being drained just to irrigate cotton plants. And then all the chemicals being pumped onto that cotton, mm. uh, because unfortunately, sustainably grown organic cotton is only about one percent um roughly about that number so it's mainly non-organic cotton um, and that uses more water more pesticides you've got whole towns being wiped out because they've had to divert the water to irrigate the plants so a lot of people are just not realizing this when they're buying their clothes you know that they don't know what's going on behind the background they don't know who's made their clothes they don't know where the clothes have been been made how far they've traveled so my, my starting point, obviously, with being a scientist is the water perspective. And I'm involved with the Better Cotton Initiative as well. And I'm going to be going to a conference. And um, so that's going to be interesting, educating farmers on um, different irrigation techniques so they can hopefully try and reduce the water usage um, in the cotton and um, to get better yields. Because essentially, we still need to make the fashion industry tick over and generate money, but in a more sustainable way. So we need to make it more more doable and more workable, really. 
because it, it's not as simple as just saying we're going to dramatically reduce our consumption. Well, we're going to shut down bits of the, the fashion industry, you know, be, because people tend to think, oh, fa- fashion, it, it's like a billion, billion you know, dollar industry. It's just rich people that are kind of making all the money. It's like, mm-hmm. well, actually, these huge industries in developed countries where like farmers depend on mm-hmm. that work. And if we were to just cut the head off the snake, there would be a whole, like whole communities that would have suddenly no income. Exactly. I mean, they, the people working in the fashion industry, they have families, they rely on this. So we can't just cut it off, but we need to be better in our approach, what materials we use, how they grow, what chemicals we use, water usage. So we need to really redo the model of the fashion Um, industry just now because as it is it's not sustainable and I think we'd need I read somewhere I think it was we'd need three planets just to sustain the amount of materials we're using if we carry on the current projection oh my god Um, and I think this was by 2050 if we carried on we'd need three planets worth of of raw materials so and I think it was 63 percent increases predicted in um, buying clothes if we if we carry on as we are so we need to put a stop to this but in uh, it's been announced in 2030 a lot of companies over 100 companies have signed up to make a reduction of 30 percent or more reduction in in really in everything like sustainability wise in raw materials that sort of thing water usage emissions so we as consumers need to hold those companies accountable. We need to make sure that they they follow what they're saying. So I don't know, I'm a little a little hesitant to believe some of them with a lot of the greenwashing. So it's like, hmm, can I believe this or not? I I'd like to believe that they're they're doing the right thing. Um we'll, we'll see. <laughs> what I've kind of noticed with companies putting into place these policies or making these commitments. Um, to sustainability is that often these statements actually serve to undermine what they could be capable of achieving Mm. so companies saying like yeah we're going to ensure that all our materials are recyclable Mm. you know from 2025 onwards it's like hang on recyclable Mm. was what was needed 10 years ago now we need recycled materials in production Mm. what are you doing and also it's still putting the onus on the consumer like yeah. oh it's actually on you to recycle like no 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 mm. it's on mm. you to stop polluting to stop using fossil fuels to stop using virgin materials yeah so it's creating this very false sense of progress when actually solutions have been available for decades but these companies mm. simply have not taken notice and put it into place yeah and you know with with materials at the minute there's only it depends which source you, you read, but between one and 8% of materials are actually recycled just now. So, you know, if you go into a shop, um, I'm not going to name any of them just now, um, but if you go in and you see, oh, you know, made of recycled materials, what it's actually meaning is if it's recycled polyester, that it could be recycled bottles. Um, but mm-hmm. they're leading the consumer into believing that it's recycled material. When right. in fact, there's not enough recycled material available to generate that collection. And um, so it's very, very misleading. Right. And the way it stands now, many clothes are made of, say, 50% polyester. They're made of a mixture and then 50% cotton or whatever. 
So when you're trying to recyclate, it's very hard to sort the fibers between, unless it's completely pure cotton, but even the labels are, are normally made of polyester. Mm. Um, so they need to be cut off before it can be recycled. But there's great things coming out of Italy just now. They're doing some fantastic things with textile recycling and wool recycling, things like that. And so that's really good. And I read something about this innovative company. They're actually with orange skins. They're making a luxurious material, a bit like silk um, coming out. So there are advances all the time. And it's it's so wonderful to hear this. You know, it's very positive. But a lot of the big companies, they need to reduce the amount they are selling the collections. I mean, they're bringing out up to 24 collections in one year. And there's only only four seasons of the year. So it's quite madness. You know, nobody needs that volume of clothes. Um, So they ultimately need to reduce the amount they are producing uh, and start using better materials. And it's debatable even even recycles polyester with the microplastic mm. issue, um, it still produces the same amount of microfibers as virgin polyester. And as a scientist, it's one of the biggest, biggest threats just now. Um, mm. I am in particular getting very, very worried about this. Microfibers, microplastics in water, they've been found in umbilical cords of babies and it's they're in drinking water in vegetables in apples yeah it's it's getting very very worrying could you talk a little bit more about the could you talk a little bit more about the effects of microplastics on our on our health because I think this is something that isn't particularly talked about people tend to focus on BPA as the dangerous chemical as well Whereas actually it's kind of the whole package is the problem, right? Yeah. Um, well, well, we'll start back um, with the clothing. Um, if you're wearing synthetic clothing like polyester, acrylic, nylon, a fleece, for example, every time you wash it, tiny, tiny fibres are coming off called microfibres and they're not being trapped in the washing machines. Current washing machine filters, they can't trap them, they're too tiny. So I actually bought a guppy bag It's a a German invention and I put any synthetic clothing in there and they capture the fibres and Mm. I put them in a little jar um, at the end. So I use that. Now there's work going on with conventional washing machines to try and develop better filters and everything. So that, that water is going to the sewage treatment works, being treated, but again, some of it is trapped in the filters, but again, it's released that's going directly into water courses and then sewage it's sprayed onto the fields for agricultural purposes so Mm. when they when they dry the sewage it gets sprayed onto the fields so then it gets leached back into the waterways that way so it's like coming from several directions Mm. and then you have it from car tires but clothing makes up about 35 percent of what's in the oceans oh wow yeah so it's not just single-use plastics it's clothing as well we we have a, a huge role a fleece for example is up to a, a million fibers released from just one wash so it's it's yeah it's unbelievable um so these little fibers are going into the food chain so you're getting like plankton krill they're eating them then the bigger species are eating them and they bioaccumulate and they don't disappear and then of course if you're not vegan or vegetarian you're eating that fish 
and it's entering the food chain that way. Now, those little little particles in the ocean, they attract every awful like chemical going. So you've got like nasty chemicals that like stick to them. Now okay. they're accumulating in animals, so are those chemicals as well. So they're building up and building up. And the World Health Organization has acknowledged it is a huge problem. And they did a, a study, a preliminary one, but they need to do more because they they recognize that it's on such a big scale that they need to do more and um, to realize what the health impact is on humans. They know that it's not a good thing to ingest all this plastic. Um, they reckon that we're ingesting about a credit card's worth a week in plastic. You're now, joking. A credit yeah. card's worth a week. Yeah. So imagine that's going into your body. And I think we both know that's not a good thing, but they need to, they need to prove it. They need to do a study that links that with, you know, whether it's linked to cancers or whatever. I don't know. So I can't really comment on the actual health impacts because it's right. unknown just now. But I know for certain that it's not a good thing. So part of my like clean up lifestyle, I switched from tea bags to loose tea, for example, and um, to get rid of microplastics. I don't have any like toiletries that I have. I've got a little app that tells me if it contains any microplastics. I use the guppy bag for my clothing. So I'm trying to like clean up my act in um, in general living about microplastics because it's something I feel really, really strongly about. So the app is is it an app that you can scan the barcode of something or, or, or yeah it... I think I think it's called stop stop the bead something like that yeah beat the microbead beat the microbeads yeah and you download it and what you do so say you've got like a facial toner or moisturizer you just scan the ingredients it shows you there's like a scanner on it and it tells you and um, because a lot of the ingredients they use like jargon it can actually contain microplastics but they're trying to hide it and um, so this deciphers everything for you so it's really good so it tells you whether there's microplastics in there it's, re it's really good oh my um, god that's amazing so you go around in the shop and zap things <laughs> and find out if it's got microplastics in <laughs> so you they did ban they made a ban on known ones in cosmetics but there's a lot of like hidden ones um so it's worth yeah worth doing that so i i use that a lot actually um, god that's bloody brilliant because plastic is kind of at the center of of you know the, the climate change debate and certainly environmental destruction mm. And it's definitely a topic that need, needs to be discussed and discussed and discussed and discussed mm. because there are huge benefits to plastic mm. in, in, in some cases. And then there are really, really terrible effects when you mm. know, it's something that we come into contact or if it's in our food or these things. Yeah. And there's sort of this general suede. I think people are so panicked and rightly so about climate change. Mm. They want these very easy boxes of like that's good and that's bad and and we're just going to split everything up and you know there's this huge trend that everything that's natural is good and it's like well it's good until they start ripping down the rainforest and you know planting loads of fields of almonds to yeah. then feed the supply of almond milk so it's yeah. really 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 complicated yeah. so I think it's I'm very interested to hear what you say about things like polyester and microfiber because that sounds very easy. Like that's just not good. <laughs> that's <laughs> definitely where we can take and be like, yeah, that's not good. We need to replace that or we need to change 
the habits that surround using using clothes like that mm. or you know start buying second hand I'm not sure if that directly links to yeah. <laughs> what I was saying well, but well I guess yeah if you're buying second hand you're reducing um the demand on fast fashion um, and I think I think the biggest worry is that fast fashion is so cheap that mm. people are buying way beyond what they actually need and they're just buying for the sake of buying because a lot of the time the prices are cheap and they're not really looking into that it's crude oil which is making the polyester shirt or dress that they're wearing and they're not really making that connection and then they're wearing it a few times and then oh suddenly it gets a hole in I'll just throw it in the bin and it's going to landfill or being incinerated and that is just essentially crude oil just being burnt and we don't have enough of that to be sustainable and so we need to start looking at more um, natural materials and we need to start making a switch from conventional cotton to more organic base because of the water and the chemical factor which will also reduce co2 emissions by switching to that because you're not because obviously these chemicals take a lot of co2 emissions to produce them in the first place so we need to make that switch and make it viable for the farmers to um, to generate enough so their yields are big enough to generate to meet the demands so they can live um, so we don't impact them so I would say in general, move to more natural fibers. Um, you've got linen, hemp, um, cotton, and I know it's a bit debatable, but even wool, I think wool is a really, really good fiber. Um, why, why is it debatable? Because it's very, very cruel, the trade. Yeah, where it's it's quite horrific. It's linked oh, to- really? Yeah. It's very, I thought very it was just shearing. When, when shearing is on a commercial scale, it's actually quite brutal and the sheep receive horrific injuries it's it's yeah there's been a few if you go on PETA the you know the animal welfare there's some awful cases so a lot of if you're you know fast fashion if they're using wool for example like say say a lot of this these products are produced in China they don't have the same animal welfare standards as European countries and it can be very very brutal the procedures so it's like an ethical point of view Um, but from a material point of view it's it degrades it's not polluting to the environment it's a good material for keeping people warm but you can get around this by buying secondhand wool or recycled wool that's already in the system Um, and and of course if you go to a sustainable brand and they can ensure they can guarantee the welfare of the animals then I don't think there's any problem in using wool uh, for example, I know somebody that makes wool socks and they have they have about five sheep and they have all that. They all have names and they treat them. You know, they're lovely. They're, yeah. they're fantastic. Yeah. It can be done. But I think when anything goes commercial, you start getting problems. Um, you know, it goes on to such a big scale. I wanting to get as much wool as possible and then the animals suffer. Yeah, this is kind of, I think, one of the big dichotomies that we're facing with climate change, which is how do we ensure the survival of laborers around the world who have come to depend on global supply chains whilst addressing the fact that the minute something is commercialized, the minute that something is high demand, we simply do not have an equitable, just 
fair and, and rich global culture to ensure that people won't do whatever they need to do to create that material because like you know you talk about wool and I'm like yeah but here's the thing though see if wool you know tomorrow became the the material to have you would then see the Amazon getting you know chopped down to create you know fields to to raise these sheep you would see these practices of unethical shearing then be put into place and it's like there's just when there's so much inequality in the world and so much poverty in certain places like mm-hmm. it seems actually we can't really solve this problem like go local but yeah then what about them but also if we use you know these laborers we can't judge them for wanting to make a living and feed their family no i mean the, the actual business model the fashion business model is it's not it's so topsy-turvy it's just ridiculous it just does not work as it is you know here we are multi million dollar business and we can't support the workers Um, I mean that the conditions it's often forced labor that they work long hours it's 80 percent are women Mm. exposed to all these toxic chemicals without protective material they're breathing in from the when they're working in the factories all of the dust they haven't got masks on it's so I mean who are we to be demanding this just because of cheap clothing it's it's ethically it's not right for us to do this. Oh, you know, we yeah. want a shirt for two euros fifty, and you know, we're demanding that somebody risk their life for this, and it's not yeah. So I think we need to like downscale. I think we need to support small businesses and not think so on a huge scale. I think if like the big players like Zara, Mango, H and M, if they just started to reduce their collections and focus on just cleaning up their act in general and um, by using better materials and bringing production closer to home to reduce the CO2 emissions. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, we need the um, countries in the third world as well, but better initiatives. I think we need to, you know, think about things and view things completely differently to the way we've been viewing things. Definitely. And also, I mean, there seems to be the potential for creating economies elsewhere rather than just taking advantage of economies. You know, if you increase, uh, this is classic Henry Ford, and I don't think that he's, you know, we should exactly be referencing him for all that is good in the world. But if you increase, you know, people's wages and give them time off so that they can then go and buy and develop their own economy on the ground. And the idea isn't to have the first and third world forever. The idea is to raise everybody's standards of living. Exactly. And I mean, we're denying young girls education, Mm. suppressing them. You know, they're starting work at age 12 or whatever in these factories and they're not allowed to progress with their education. And they just think that is their life, just working like this. Mm. And, you know, it's not fair. So we're, we're suppressing their, their way of life and education just because of cheap clothes. Um, right. so yeah, it's, yeah, it's sickening. It's, and as a mother, you know, I have two children. And, you know, I think it makes it even more aware when you have children yourself, because I want the best for my children. And I think every mother, regardless of where you are on the planet, you want the best for your children. And yet, I think, I think nobody wants to live in such poverty the way we are, and um, sort of enforcing. So yeah, yeah, changes to happen. Yeah, definitely. And how how did you get into 
all of this? So you you are a hydro you are a, a hydrologist. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm still a hydrologist. I've never I've never left that world. Still a yeah. hydrologist. Um, but I wanted to start a, I wanted to link up. I got very interested in clothes a long long time ago. Um, it's actually my grandma. My grandma was the queen of secondhand. And back then in the 80s, they were called jumble sales. Um, so we would go along the Northumberland coastline um, to like a church hall filled with boxes and everything. My grandma would elbow people out of the way. She would be like digging around in these boxes. And I was, I was, I was three back then. And I thought it was wonderful that I was coming out with all these secondhand books and things like that. It was, you know, for next to nothing, it was fantastic. My grandma would give me some pocket money. And uh, so I became a li- like a little bit like almost addicted back then. You know, it was like, wow, this is fantastic. And then for years, me and my mom, we'd go around charity shops. But it was always like, oh, you know, don't tell anybody. You know, this, this has to be like a secret. It was like, really? almost like it was like a dirty, like a little secret. You know, don't let anybody know where your clothes come from kind of thing. But we, you know, we really liked it. And then I started working for an organization where I was surrounded by really inspiring people people were doing like car shares to work they cycled to work they were all vegan or vegetarian and a lot of them were buying secondhand clothes and suddenly this dirty secret that I'd been carrying around for years Mm -hmm. wasn't so secretive anymore because everyone was doing it and it was almost like quite hip to be part of this movement and uh, in this organization I used to work for we had a lot of um, like information um, coming in about the environmental impacts and everything and it was all just like filtering in and and then I moved over to Sweden I met my, my Swedish husband and moved over here and the second hand market is I've never experienced anything like it it's it is fabulous over here really? um, and but I guess that is reflecting that perhaps the Swedes have a problem with clothes um, <laughs> <laughs> you know you can look at it you can look at it that way like I am buying I bought a Michael Kors skirt before Christmas because I'm now not buying anything I bought it before Christmas I bought it for the equivalent of 50 well it was 50 krona which is about five euros now that to me signifies that if somebody's getting rid of a perfectly decent Michael Kors skirt and selling it for five euros there's something wrong that Mm. they're they're viewing clothes as disposable Um, so I, I I picked up Burberry. I picked you know like really branded names. This is this is what I go for. I've tried to up my game in the second hand. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm only buying like really good quality fitting, good quality materials, and it's incredible what you can find here in the second hand. It's it's structured a bit differently to the UK actually. The second hand, the actual shops are like in a warehouse. So you go in and you you like go through a section so you can find furniture you can like buy a whole you know you can buy a bed you can buy a sofa whatever there's lamps in there and it's all very very typical Swedish all very neatly organized <laughs> everything it's not like sometimes in the UK shops you go in and everything's like all over the place and yeah. you don't know where to start but everything is like very very neatly organized and sometimes even color coordinated on the rail so you can go in and if you want a black top you go to the black rail or if it's a pink oh dress, God. you know. So sometimes it can be like very, very structured. So and it's not really on the high streets because Sweden doesn't do high streets as such. And they do more town centres. So it's very mm-hmm. different to the UK. 
and um, so people go with their cars to these out of town like warehouses and it's like a whole you go on like you spend a whole morning there it's yeah. like a thing and there's like a little Swedish word for coffee is fika so you go and you have a fika with your friends and it's like a social thing you do this like this secondhand movement and then there's the online secondhand in Sweden which because of COVID I haven't really been able to get out with the situation so I've been buying more online and it's fantastic what you can buy so the Swedes really have their head screwed on for the environmental part of things over here it's most people do buy secondhand which I really like that side of things. They they understand about the circular economy. And mm. um, so I, I really like that about the Swedes. I think uh, Sweden is one of those Nordic countries that we all look to in, in reverence mm. from down here in lowly middle Europe. Like, oh, yes, gender equality, environmentalism, <laughs> healthy economies. You know, it's it's like the promised land. And I think we would all go if it weren't so cold. Yeah, it's cold. It is cold. <laughs> but it, they're also extremely wealthy, these countries. And that's why, mm-hmm. you know, you can pick up a Michael Kors skirt secondhand for, for five euros. Yeah, I mean, you've got a lot of wealthy girls sitting in Stockholm that will buy something purely for a meeting or an event and then get rid of it. I mean, they're spending a lot of money on an outfit mm-hmm. because they've got this disposable income. And for them, it's nothing. Good news for me, fantastic mm. news for me that I can go and, you know, have a, a lovely designer wardrobe for next to nothing. But I think in attitude wise, that needs to be addressed. So I think it's it's very much like a 50-50 country here. The the people that really embrace the secondhand market. And then you've got the top earners that are very like frivolous with their clothes and that needs to be addressed. And there's a huge... Um, problem well not problem but with influencers over here you know the glamorous you know the lovely big walk-in wardrobes with all the clothes and yeah so it's um there's that side of things um that's why it's so fantastic to see sustainable influencers having their moment in the the spotlight and I've been really amazed and it's made me quite joyful and hopeful seeing people like you and other accounts like actually taking on this sort of civic responsibility to educate their peers and to educate other people and to try and inspire change and just sharing knowledge. Yeah. I'm amazed by it. I actually love the education side of things. I've always been involved with master's students ever since I started my career. I've been in one way involved with students and been mentoring them and giving presentations and I've been lecturing around in Sweden as well giving lectures and also in sustainability groups in the UK as well I've been um, involved in that I just really like the education side of things I, I think you know getting back to what we were saying before that we are suppressing the education of young girls that work in these factories and education is the key if we don't educate ourselves we're never going to move forward and you know we it's very important to spread the awareness and you know educate people on microplastics and chemicals and sustainability in general um Mm -hmm. for a lot of people especially in january they'll be starting off on the journey you know they've made that decision oh we're starting off but a lot of people don't know where to start they want to make changes they know that they need to make changes but a lot of them are just starting their journey now whereas I've been doing it for a long time so I try to create posts that are 
that that people can relate to that aren't too scientific and that are easy to understand I try to put a lot of the jargon into understandable context for people because yeah. I know that everybody's not scientific you know so I need to to try and make it uh, work for everybody um, yeah. so yeah so I hope I'm I hope I'm getting through to people so. I think so I, th- I think influencers on Instagram these sustainable influencers like yourself I think you're having a, a really really huge impact because you're making something as you say that seems quite uh, confusing and unattainable you make it you're making it every day and giving people you know step by step and what I think is particularly great is people tend to focus on like one thing like you know you've got your fast fashion mm. uh, influencers like okay here's all the information you need you've got your vegans that are giving you all this information. you got your intersectional environmentalists you know you could yeah. follow like 10 influencers from different subgroups and yeah. there you've got all of your information to radically yeah. overhaul your life yeah in yeah. a way that just isn't kind of being given out by any organization or newspapers mm. because of the news cycle so I think it's amazing I really do oh thank you <laughs> but I would like to know more of the science right yeah. now because we can have a dialogue about it and break it down yeah. What is happening to like our water systems in Europe because of fashion? Um, well, the biggest threat in, in Europe is the microplastics. I would say a lot of the production, the textile production has been moved to Asia or to China. So we're not really at that stage from chemical dyes. That's not really entering our waterways. That's not really a problem in in Europe. That's more a problem. Um, You've got textile production in India, Asia, Bangladesh, Cambodia, Vietnam, um, and especially in China as well. They actually say that there's a joke. You can tell next season's colour what's going to be in by looking at the colour of the water. So if it's discharging pink you know that pink's going to be in next year for example so it's really is this like sorry to interrupt but is this like people's potential drinking water that's being polluted yeah this water it's used for drinking water for washing clothes general household usage it's yeah up to 70 percent of rivers in china are so toxic that in some cases you can set fire to them the water and yeah and a lot of it's illegal it's they, they, they dig the pipes down so you have no idea which factory it's coming from and the big corporations a lot of the time they sublease the factories so for example you've got H&M Zara they will sublease the factory so they say it's not their responsibility so it ultimately boils down to you know transparency with the companies they have to start being honest and say yes we are using this factory for textile production and textile dyeing. And this is our responsibility and we are causing this environmental damage. We are causing Mm -hmm. amounts of fish kills. You've got birds, you know, that eating the fish and dying. You've got people, there's a high concentration um, of liver cancers, of of skin cancers, all related to this drinking water. Um, I mean, it's, it's horrific. People, they haven't got sense of smell and they, Oh, I mean, it's so, it's so horrific what's going on. It really, as a hydrologist, seeing water being abused in this way and what's being discharged in, it's really upsetting. And then a lot of this water further downstream, it's been abstracted and used for irrigation purposes. So that's been used for rice, irrigation, you know, for other crops. And I think it was in 
in cow's milk in India, they found cadmium, which had been traced back to the factories, which was released into the water. And then that water was used for feeding the cattle and for drinking water. And it was found in milk. You know, it's 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 entering the food chain in that sense. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's very worrying. But one of the, the biggest polluters is actually tanneries. So, you know, if you if you go to Bangladesh, mm. um, so the the tanneries for leather and suede, um, the chemicals that are, they are using, it's horrific. And it just discharging straight into water courses. A lot of the, the, the people working in the industry, they have no protective clothing. So those chemicals are going straight onto the hands. It's been absorbed into the skin and they don't live a very long life. It's actually shortening their lives. Yeah, yeah. It can affect, it can cause miscarriages, birth defects, fertility. Um, it's like a huge knock-on effect. How uh, is this shit legal? <laughs> this is, you know, we are we are demanding all these handbags, leather goods, and then you've got the cheaper end of it, like Primark, that are selling leather shoes, leather handbags mm. um, for like 12 euros, whatever. But it's all coming from our demand, you know, for this is fueling fueling this problem but there's a great program if you watch river blue that's really really good um, about the it's specifically on rivers that the impact of the fashion industry on rivers and asia and india and it's really really good very moving actually and so i recommend anybody to watch that one um river blue yeah i'll put links to um all of these things in in so people have easy access to it what is like the one big change that people could make if the if there is one big change for somebody starting out that is listening to this and is extremely concerned about the effect of fast fashion what is the one thing that would have the biggest change that they could do and well there's what you call a hierarchy so start with your own wardrobe Start looking at your clothes and start to love your clothes. Start to look at them in a different way. There's lots of apps. For example, I've got one that can, you you put together pieces in your wardrobe and they put together different combinations of clothes you already own in ways that you'd never think of. So it's like you've got a stylist on hand. So it's fantastic. Um, You know, so it's got like a maxi skirt or whatever. It'll pair it up with a different top and it'll like it'll provide ideas for you um so I use that for ideas and inspiration it's really good it's called closet I think there's another one my wardrobe or something but closet I use closet okay so my first advice would be you know start with what you already own you know build up um like what what I call a core wardrobe so you have like jeans t-shirts the basic essentials so you have the foundation block and try and avoid like any trendy stuff because that is essentially just adding to the mound of clothes that are going to landfill. Try and just keep to, I would say, like a neutral basic wardrobe as like a staple. And then if you feel that you need something different, why don't you swap or borrow with a friend? I've just actually won a big global competition on creating clothes swaps around the world. Um, oh, and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I really, I really got into that obviously with covid it was like not so easy but you can swap with your best friend you can swap with your mum you can set, set up a swapping party in your own home and um, if you get advanced you can set up a swap in a, in a hotel and, and invite more people 
So it's up to you, you know, what level you, you do it on. But swapping is essentially a really good way of getting something new in your wardrobe without hurting the environment because it's yeah. keeping clothes in circulation. It's not involving any purchasing of new clothes, not fueling the demand. So that's really good. And then you can also rent things. The rental market is it's growing all the time. You've got some fantastic, you know, you can even rent children's clothes if you want. Um, there's some great, you know, apps out there and everything. You can there's a one, it's called Hack Your Closet, where you receive clothes in a box every month, like a different set of clothes. And then at the end of the month, you send them back again. So, yeah, so I think it's designed for people that live in like small Stockholm flats that don't have a big wardrobe, but they need to keep looking nice all the time and like fresh clothes. So then the next stage, if you if you are going to buy, I'd say the last stage is buying and look at the sustainable brands. Yes, they tend to be more expensive. But they are expensive for a reason because you know they pay a decent wage to their workers they don't use the chemicals a lot of them are organic and um, so you have to look at way up you know is fast fashion worth it because i might be causing somebody a premature death or yeah. like do i turn to a sustainable brand so and of course i missed out in the hierarchy second hand as well i i stupid me <laughs> i missed out second hand um, so yeah, so, so you know, look at your own wardrobe first, swap or borrow, and then buy second hand. You can rent, and then the last thing you should do is buy. So that would be my advice for anybody starting out. Look at your your buying needs as like a hierarchy, and uh, try and stick to that. And that's that's what I do. And then mm. you can always ask yourself questions when you're buying. You know, is it essential? you know, leave it a week, do I still want it after a week? How many items in my wardrobe will that item go with? You mm. know, if it just goes with one item, you're more likely to get rid of it. But if yeah. it goes with 10 items in your wardrobe, you're more likely to keep it. So yeah, so look, you know, ask yourself some some questions, really important questions. Mm. Um, and yeah, I think I think that is a good approach to if, if anybody's starting out this year to trying to be sustainable. Um, but really like the number one thing is just stop buying new stop, clothes yeah stop buying new clothes yeah just look, learn to love your clothes learn to repair them I mean so many times I have seen on secondhand websites that somebody's donated something literally because a button has come off and they haven't bothered to sew it back on yeah. um, you know so where where this new generation where we you know we've got this attitude this disposable attitude if you've ever been to Beamish Beamish Museum it's in Newcastle and it's set in wartime Britain and everything was rationed everything was repaired there was no plastic everything was in metal tins I mean it is ultimate sustainability you know guidelines to go by and clothes were passed down you know they were looked after they were worn until they literally fell off their backs and we need, I think we need to go back. We need to go back to that approach where, you know, it's acceptable to give secondhand gifts. It's acceptable to pass clothes down. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we need to learn how to repair. I have no skills on a sewing machine. We never did that in school. You know, we were, well, my school, we were very focused on science, on English, on maths, but no practical skills, a sewing machine. So I think that needs to change. Schools need to get back to basics, teach children how to look after their clothes, 
you know learn the importance of it so yeah there's a there's a change on every level that we need to implement of course of of course there's no there's no one solution but I I think it's really good to identify like what kind of long-term changes need to happen and then what Mm -hmm. what you can do right now because obviously not everybody is going to stop buying new clothes which means like the economy will still survive as we're trying to figure out a solution but if there is a big enough minority that kind of take responsibility for some changes and it, it should have an ongoing effect. Yeah, yeah. But one thing that I would love to get some knowledge from you on, if you have it, because it's it's quite a complicated topic, but you mentioned sustainable brands. Yeah. Now, like how do we spot greenwashing? Because there are many oh. quote unquote sustainable brands yeah. that simply are not yeah there, there's been a few companies that have approached me on instagram for example you know do you want to be a brand ambassador and when you take a look at the company they have no information on where the product was made how it right. was made um if you were to ask them about you know what chemicals were used they wouldn't be able to tell you now a good way to spot a good sustainable company is they're very very open they are very transparent a good one is Eco Elf, for example. They they are very, very good. They use a lot of the guy who founded it, he's very passionate about waste in the ocean. So he reuses a lot of fishing nets and mm. he makes coats and hoodies and trainers, all from recycled fishing nets. And he's he, you know, he tells you if you if you go onto the section about what his, you know, where his where the garments are made, the factories, every, everything is is open. But with greenwashing, a lot of these companies, they, they use like general statements and, you know, they, they'll say, you know, made of recycled polyester, but they'll not tell you it could be as little as 1% recycled right. polyester going into that garment. Or, you know, they could what they could be meaning is, oh, it's made from bottles, which we got cheap. Or in some cases, bottles are actually made to be recycled into a dress, which is madness. Oh, um, fuck off. Sorry. Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah, I read, I, now I can't remember the source where I read that, but I was shocked. I was like, this can't be true. This literally can't be true. So you've got companies that are jumping on that bandwagon that they want to be seen as green and everything. So yeah, so that was, that was really, really shocking. That actually reminds me of Apple's whole recycled aluminium thing. Yeah. It's not post-consumer, it's post-industrial. So pretty much it's their their manufacturer. Whenever any aluminium falls off yeah. the, the assembly line, essentially, that's collected and then made into Apple products. And that is just not the same thing as post-consumer and, um, scrap. No, it's it's not. So It must be so frustrating, especially oh, if somebody so sort of well-versed in this. Yeah, it, it's, I mean, it's really, really frustrating. I mean, there's enough clothing like circulating around and enough going to landfill, you know, that can be recycled. I mean, they are getting better at like different techniques for sorting out fibres and everything. And I'm sure, you know, it will happen. Advances are being made all the time in technology. But I think we just need to make it like industrial scale. So it's all recycled. And then that would hopefully that would stop the virgin polyester being made in the first place. Because I don't, my personal opinion is 
we don't need any more polyester entering the system. We've got enough circulating around. We just do not need any more. So yeah. it would be ideal to stop that and just use what we have become circular. But we need a, a huge shift in attitudes. And I mean, even here in Sweden, which is renowned for this, I went down to my local recycling station. I said, where do we recycle textiles? It doesn't exist. So, oh, really? so this is like this is Sweden. So they said, oh, try H&M. So I went into H&M, they had like a little box. So I peeked inside and there was like maybe one item donated. And I was like, okay, so H&M is making a collection made of recycled polyester. And I was like, hmm, this is a bit of greenwashing because, mm. you know, who, you know, where are these clothes being recycled? I know that there is a facility in Sweden to do it, but I don't know, I don't know on what scale um, that is being recycled. So, yeah, so I think... It's very difficult with the whole greenwashing thing, you know, who's telling the truth, who's not. Mm. But I think read between the lines, look very carefully. Don't be afraid to ask them. They can't answer your questions, then be, you know, be suspicious of them. But everything should be on their website, their sustainability. Everything should be on there. So you should be able to get answers from there. For example, Paul and Pira is a Swedish uh, children's brand. And they're very open about, you know, they use fleeces from recycled um bottles and things like that so they're very they're very open about their sources mm. um, and they also they try and make clothing to last three generations um, oh wow yeah even even like by making the cuffs on clothes so mm. they make them so they can extend the life so they last longer and they're made of like really good quality cotton because children are like they roll on the ground, they get holes in the knees and everything, you know. Uh, you know, I, I've been there, you know. So um, yeah, and uh, they make them so they're pretty tough clothing and designed to last longer. So it's essentially the buy less, buy better philosophy. Um, yes. And then those clothes are passed on, and they make quite neutral clothing as well. Um. So my daughter actually wears a lot of my son's clothes mm. because it's like stripy clothes and it's quite neutral to be passed down um, right. and uh, so yeah so that's all part of the the, the big circle of being sustainable circular right. yeah are there any brands that you could advise people to just stay away from are you mean like greenwashing brands or or even just you know not even the ones that are bothering to greenwash like the ones that are it's just you know we know that they're they're not doing enough, that their practices are, are bad, that you would just advise to stay away from? Well, I think the big top players, you know, like H&M, Zara, Mango, um, like CNA, all, all, all those, like Primark, Primark is like really, mm -hmm. really bad. And yeah, because they they fail to answer a lot of questions. H&M, you know, they say, yeah, we're going to be on track by 2030 and reduce this but they're still bringing out all these collections made of polyester. And they brought out, it was a dress, it was for 20 euros and it was made of recycled polyester. So my first question was, how can a dress be made for 20 euros from the other side of the world? So, you know, what are those garment workers earning in the first place? You've got to factor in the shipping from, you know, from China, wherever it was produced back over to Europe and then shipped out to you know all corners of the world how can they sell it for just 20 euros so that was like my first question and it was only one collection that they produced made of this 
Um, so I had like a few issues with that. But I think probably H&M is one of the better ones out of them all that's actually doing something. The others, I think because they've signed up to these um, sustainability targets, they have to be seen to be doing something. But And I think maybe pushing one collection out here and there to try and convince the public. But I think they could personally do a lot more. Um, but Definitely. We'll see. Think- we'll see what they do. <laughs> we will see. I think in so many industries that solutions have been available for a very long time what could be done is actually quite monumental Mm -hmm. and companies are just not willing not willing to sacrifice profits not willing to implement changes and giving off a very false impression that they're they're doing everything they can and it's it's total nonsense yeah yeah Heather, this has been awesome. Uh, I'm, I'm so, so pleased um, that I got a hold of you and that you, that you said yes to, to this interview. It's been really, really great. Do you have somebody, to finish up, do you have somebody that who that you would like to platform? It's a it's a company, Conscious Turtle, and they've, they've set up like an eco store. And what they do, they put little on their Instagram um, posts about sustainability in general. And I really like them because... I think they appeal to a wide audience and they're educational and I just really like their approach. You know, they, they cover all aspects of sustainability and I, I just really like them. And I think what they're doing is is really good. They've just launched and yeah, I think any small business, because we need to move away from the big businesses mm-hmm. and support these small businesses. And uh, yeah, so I would I'd like to give them a little shout out and I'll give them my support. Um, okay. But yeah. So yeah. So that's my, yeah, a little shout out. <laughs> Fantastic. And I, I will see if I can maybe get one of the founders on the show to talk about their their company mission. It'd be really good to yeah, have some small businesses yeah. on. Yeah, absolutely. That would be great. Oh, Heather, thank you so much. This was. Oh, wonderful. you're welcome. You're welcome. It's you. Great chatting to you. Oh, good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> Hi everyone, I really hope you enjoyed that. You can find the link to Heather's Instagram page in the show notes where she posts a lot of educational information. I really enjoy following it. And you can also listen to every episode of Platform Enterprise and read all of the articles at www.platformenterprise.com. If you are a subscriber, if you're considering it and you really enjoy the content, um, please consider getting a paid subscription because it enables me to keep platforming amazing people and the work that they're doing, which is the best job ever, frankly. (laughs) All right, have a good week and we'll see you next time. Thank you.